pray right now. Lord, I pray that today we will be able to learn from your word, uh, what you have to say for us as we live in today's culture. We know that the Bible is timeless and it speaks to us. And so if we have a distracted heart and mind, Lord, help us to set that aside and uh, to learn from you. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to still gather online. It's not the same, Lord, but it's something. And we're grateful for that. So help us to learn from your, uh, from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, can I share my screen? Let's see. So today's sermon um, is called Hurtful Words in a Hurting World. That's the title of today's uh, sermon. And so I think you guys know that um, elections is coming up and um, that if you've been paying attention, you may have seen a lot of political signs around the city and political campaigns in your mail urging you to vote for this person or that person. Um, even last night was the presidential campaign. Oh, I just realized my halo is still on. Oh, I turned that off. <laughs> uh, ah, there it is. <laughs> Get me out here. Um, and so you may have watched the presidential campaign uh, last night. And today it's not necessarily a uh, political sermon. I do want to still preach uh, from God's word. I'm a pastor, not a politician, but I still think God's word does speak to the world that we live in today. And um, I think there is something that I want to point out that there are a lot of hurtful words said by uh, our leaders. And I think if we're not careful, we can fall and say those things as well. And that can be a habit of, our, of ours as well. And so I was looking through my mail and I was just looking at the campaigns and seeing how they were maybe uh, advocating for their, ad, for their um, representative. And, um, and let me just show you what I saw in my mail. I want to see what you guys think, or maybe you guys have the same mail. Um, but you guys may have heard of Ling Ling Chang. Um, this is something I got in the mail. And so uh, this poster is saying, oh, she has a sensible approach. But then right after this, I see a uh, something else that says this, uh, Josh Newman protect our, protected our tax dollars. And you look at the bottom right, Ling Ling is known for lying. I'm like, wow, that really paints her in a negative spotlight. Um, next one, I would see a, I guess, campaign or ad that would look like uh, Philip Chen. So kind of painting him in a good light as well. Um, but then the next uh, poster I would see in my mail would be something like this, uh, that Phil Chem skipped out on us. And basically they're saying he got free tickets for like a Hollywood screening. I guess it was Endgame if you look at uh, the poster um, and that he called in sick to watch that movie. And the slogan is End Chen's Game of Skipping Out on Us. Vote no on Philip Chen. And <laughs> I just want us to realize that you no know, words hurt and it's kind of incredible. Like you think about your high school, maybe ASB or USB elections, sometimes those can be a little more civil than what's going on at our nation's top level. I might be wrong, but when I see your guys' stories, you guys repost a story, you know, supporting your friend who's running for a certain position, but I never see posts like, don't vote for Tommy. He took pre-algebra freshman year. He lacks the intelligence to lead our student body or something like that. Um, or at the very least, it might be said in secret, but never like in public. So it's always been appalling to me that 
um, at, our, at, our, at the top of our nation, our nation's leaders, sometimes they say hurtful words to one another. And it can trickle down to the state level, the city level, and the personal level, how we treat our family and friends. And so this name calling, this accusations, these uh, insults, it can seem commonplace in our political sphere. And it can seem so common that it seems normal, but I don't want us to normalize it. Okay, um, I don't know if your uh, bedroom is messy or clean, but let's say it's messy like mine was in high school. And let's say it's messy for years and it's so messy for so long that you forget what a clean bedroom looks like. And pretty soon you accept and justify that, oh, you know, my bedroom, it's, it's okay. But it's only because you've forgotten what a clean bedroom looks like. So I don't want us to justify or accept that harmful words are okay the way that we become okay with a messy bedroom. As Christians, we have to remember what a clean bedroom looks like, um, which is to say we have to remember that God calls Christians for us to watch our speech and our words. And so today's sermon addresses this type of evil speech. And as I said, it's not a political sermon, um, but is the text does uh, inform how we carry ourselves when we talk about things like politics and everyday issues. But I want to start with the biblical text first. So today we are in the book of James, uh, which if you're here and you're new today, James is the book in the Bible, and it was written to poor Christian Jews, and some of them were likely farmers. And James gives a lot of uh, practical wisdom on how to live as a Christian. And so we're going to focus on the area of speech. So here's my uh, sermon preview for uh, today. Number one is slandering others show blank, and we're going to answer that uh, during the sermon. And number two the empty promises and oaths must be replaced with blank. I want us to uh, unpack this as well. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. James chapter 4. We'll be in verse 11. Okay, once you're there, we're just going to start off reading in verse 11. Let's jump into the sermon, the book of James, as it addresses how we should have right speech. So this is uh, verse 11. It says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now we're back in chapter four, and I saved this verse for later because it fits well into the category of right speech. But for a refresher on the larger context of this verse, like how do we make sense of larger context? Remember that if you're in your paper Bibles, look at the beginning of chapter three, and James is talking about the danger of the tongue, of how destructive words can be. Just like how a tiny spark at a a gender reveal party can ignite a forest fire and destroy hundreds of thousands of acres of land, homes, and property. So one single word, one harmful word can do serious damage to one another in our relationships. To hear I love you uh, from maybe your high school or junior high sweetheart would cause your heart to soar to Mount Everest, I'm sure. But on the other hand, to hear, oh, I've always seen you as just a friend that can crush your hearts for ages. 
And words hurt sometimes. And sometimes we don't always recover from the words that are said to us. And so for this reason, James commands us to not speak evil against one another. And he uses the words brothers because it's a term of endearment. He loves um, this church. And so the original audience, they would have been reminded of the Israelites who complained against God and questioned his goodness in the, when they're wandering in the wilderness. And so James is giving that same type of command, do not speak evil. Um, and that word speak evil in the original language communicates this idea of slander. Do not slander one another or ruin someone's reputation. Okay. Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. God hates slander. God hates evil speech because it contradicts everything that he's all about. God is a God of love. He commands us to love him and love our neighbor. As we see in Leviticus 16, and Jesus says the same thing in the greatest commandment. So if we slander and speak evil to our neighbor, we are disobeying God's command. But what's more than that, when you speak evil, when you and I speak evil to one another, when we slander one another, we're actually elevating ourselves, in a sense, to play judge, to play God. Look at uh, the end of verse 11. It says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not, you not a doer of the law, but a judge. That's a little confusing at first. I want to explain that. Um, so for the original audience, by speaking evil against their brother, they would be speaking evil against God's law. For them, this would have meant uh, the Old Testament law. Um, it would also mean what Jesus laid down when, when he was on earth, the law and ethics of God's kingdom that Jesus was uh, preaching and proclaiming about. So follow with me. If when we disobey the law, we become a judge of the law. You make yourself above the law and you're no longer bound by the law. So in that sense, you are a judge. If that's so confusing, let me give you an example. Imagine a teenager who knows it's wrong to steal and he walks into a 7-Eleven, uh, fills up a giant gulp of a Freezy or a Slurpee, I forgot what it's called, and he grabs a hot dog and he uh, walks out the store. He knowingly steals from this 7-Eleven. And in that moment, this, teenage, this teenager, by stealing, has made himself above the law. He has decided that he doesn't need to obey the law of not stealing. So in a sense, he's making himself a judge. He's deciding uh, what to obey and what to not obey. So he's no longer a doer of the law. He's above the law. He's a judge of the law. So in the same way, when you slander and speak evil to one another, you are elevating yourself above God's law. You're picking and choosing and saying, you know what? I don't really have to uh, take seriously God's command to love one another. We are acting like judges. Now, this is uh, really concerning because we're going to see in verse 12 that when we act as judges in the law, this is wrong because God alone is the judge. God alone is the giver of the law. How dare we take his place on the throne? Uh, let's look at verse 12, um, which says this. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
So point number one is slandering others show your pride in elevating yourself above God's law and commands. That's on the PowerPoint slide here, but that's point number one. And so when we elevate ourselves above God's law, we forget that there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. That's God. God alone is able to save and to destroy. And so those verbs to save and to destroy, it has a spiritual sense. So it's not like saving someone from falling off a cliff or destroying um, like a piece of garbage or something. In a spiritual sense, it's saving our souls or destroying our souls. God is the one who has this ability. He is the one lawgiver and judge who has this power. So when we try to be judge and elevate ourselves above the law, we are taking his place, what is rightfully his. And so we have to remember God's place in the universe. God is God and we are not. God existed before time and created the universe and we are just a mere mortal human being. And so uh, if you're at home and your parents tell you to take out the trash, as a parent, they have authority over you. They make the rules. They tell you uh, what chores to do. And as a child, your role is to respect them and to obey them. And if you tell them, you know what, mom, dad, no, I, I don't want to take out the trash. You have disobeyed their authority. And effectively, you're making yourself the parents. You're making the own rules in your house. And so you're playing the role of the parent. And in a sense, that is a great offense. And so on an ultimate scale, when we disobey God, we are taking the place of God because we are disobeying his rules. I know it's maybe a silly example, but I hope it helps us understand um, how wrong it is to disobey God's command. And so James makes it very, very clear. No one is king except God himself. He alone is the lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy souls. Fear this almighty God. And so who are we to speak evil to our neighbor? Who are we to tear other people down in public or in private? We should not have any evil speech or slander about us because this goes against God's law. And so this is the first point. Avoid evil speech for God alone is a lawgiver and judge. Now let's jump to chapter five. So we're in chapter four, verses 11 to 12. Let's jump to chapter five. We're going to be in Chapter 5, verse 12, for the second point, look with me at chapter 5, verse 12. And now James is going to move into the topic of making promises and oaths. It says this in chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So that's in chapter five, verse 12. Um, and so as we reach the final chapter of James, he concludes with a matter of utmost importance, which is this, your personal integrity matters. The promises you make, the oaths that you take, I don't know if anyone here has made an oath, but we probably made promises, this is important. Our integrity, it communicates a sense of our honesty, of being morally upright. And this is demonstrated through the words we say. If you borrow $5 and you promise to pay the other person back and you don't, this goes against our character. We are not uh, upholding our integrity. And so James makes a command, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. 
So that here, James is not attacking evil speech, but he's attacking our tendency to swear in God's name when really our word should be enough. So we say, yes, mom, yes, dad, I'll clean my room. That should be enough. We don't have to say, okay, mom, okay, dad, this time I promise, I swear to God, I'll clean my room. The point is this. Do we have to make promises or swear in God's name if we simply keep our word? And so that's the second point of today, that empty promises and oaths, they must be replaced by simply keeping your word. Think about this. If every single person in the world simply kept their word, we wouldn't really have a need for promises, right? In Leviticus 19.12, God says, You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So this goes all the way back to the Old Testament law. We do not need to make these empty promises in the name of God. Now, James is not saying that oaths are wrong. In fact, God makes promises and covenants and oaths to the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, like to Abraham and Noah. And even nowadays, um, we make uh, oaths or covenants like marriage vows, and we sign legal contracts. James is not saying those things are wrong. Those things are good, but he's criticizing when we are careless with our promises. When we quickly say, you know, I swear to God, I swear um, on my parents' grave that I will do this. We don't have to do that if our word is enough. If we simply did what we said we we're going to do, there'd be no need for promises or oaths to swear in God's name. So James is simply commanding us to keep our word instead of relying or swearing in God's name. So that's a, a James chapter five, verse 12 means. Now I wanna move into the main idea. I uh, ended the exposition a little bit early because I wanna spend a little bit more time in application. Um, and so that's why I'm getting to the big idea a little quicker today. But the big idea of today's sermon is this, that evil speech and empty promises expose our rebellion to the only true lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. The next time an evil word, a hurtful word, a curse word leaves your mouth to destroy or harm another person, I want us to remember what we're actually doing. We are playing the part of God. We are elevating ourselves above God's law, and we are ignorant of the one lawgiver, of the one judge who has the power to save and destroy souls. This is serious, guys. I don't want us to just dismiss the power of words. Every word we say will be recorded and will be replayed on judgment day. And we have to give an account for the words we say. So speak carefully. So application for today, I want to talk about how humble words, how it can be helpful for a hurting world. I said earlier, I'm not an expert in politics. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to be a politician. Uh, I'm here to be your guys' pastor, and I don't know everything there is to know about the political world, but I do know God's word speaks to the way we carry ourselves when we discuss hot topic issues. And so I want to give two application points uh, to drive this home. So the first one is this, to dialogue without demonizing your opponents. This is really tough. So can you have a conversation with someone you disagree with without turning them to be like the devil? to making them to be like the enemy. I showed you the political campaigns in the beginning where um, they made fun of people's weight, putting them on a caricature, on a cartoon. 
in a sense, that's a sense of demonizing, that they're attacking the person, not the argument. Um, and so when we dialogue with people that we disagree with, are you going to attack them or will you respect them as people? And so we have our nation's leaders calling each other names and we let's not normalize this. God would not normalize this. There is nothing right about name calling or insults. Let's not dismiss and separate the person from the policy. The person matters as well. We cannot give a free pass just because uh, of their policy. We have to not demonize our opponents. I don't know if it's just me or maybe I'm just paying more attention, um, but like I showed you the, the campaigns in the mail, it just feels like there's more public slander in the political campaigns nowadays. And this really shouldn't be a surprise. If it's happening at a top level, we shouldn't be surprised that it trickles down to the county, the state, the city level, All right? So we live in a time where people are insulting each other and people are cheering each other for that. Did he really just say that? My goodness. Let's remember that the holiness of God calls us as Christians to a higher standard. Don't take my word for it. You saw for yourself in James chapter four to do not speak evil against one another. A couple months ago, we saw in James chapter three, verse eight, that no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not be so. So can you dialogue with someone without tearing them down, without demonizing them? Can you have a peaceful conversation with people who disagree with you? You don't need to insult them. You don't need to call them names. Um, I don't know what your family, uh, which candidate they're voting for, but you may not agree with the opponent, with the person you're not voting for, but we have to remember that the other person on the other side, that is somebody's father, that is somebody's husband, that is somebody's friend, that person has a family, he has a home. At one time, that person was a teenager. At one time, that person was an infant. He had hopes and fears. He has a soul. He's not just a bad guy on a screen that we are trying to tear down. Genesis 1, that he is made in the image of God. So you may, not, you may disagree very strongly, and that's okay if it contradicts the Bible, but we still have to treat them with dignity and respect. If you call yourself a Christian, you are misrepresenting and, and smearing the name of Jesus if you worship God on Sundays, but you verbally trash your political opponents on Monday. That is hypocritical in the full sense of the word. How can we worship God in one moment and slander our enemies the next moment? Don't stoop to the level of leaders that we see in this country. We are held to a higher standard as Christians. The tongue is a deadly poison. We should not worship God and also curse our enemies with the same tongue. This is the very definition of hypocrisy. Now, there is a place to defend the Christian faith. There is a place to defend Christian values, the sanctity of life, but that can be done in a way that's strong, confident, but still respectful. God calls us to still avoid evil and destructive speech. So can you dialogue without demonizing your opponents? Second one is listen to humbly understand, not to angrily respond. There's a difference. Anybody can listen, 
But what is your motive when you listen? Are you listening to humbly understand what does the other person actually think? How do they arrive at the perspective? Or are you listening? But as you're listening, you're kind of getting ready your rebuttals. You're kind of preparing in your mind ways to argue back because that's not really going to lead to any constructive arguments. Can you first listen to understand as opposed to listen to angrily, angrily responding? Again, don't, don't take it from me. Take it from God's word. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace, meaning God. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So as we avoid evil speech and slander, we also have to move towards exemplifying humility and gracious speech, no matter what. God opposes the proud. God opposes the arrogant. God opposes the boastful, but he gives grace to the humble. As you and I, as young Christians, can we exemplify this humility and can the aroma of Christ flow through our speech? Humble speech is so rare in today's political climate. It's often said that nobody ever converts to Christianity because they lost an argument, which is to say, let's say you own somebody in an argument. You just threw the best uh, pieces of evidence and truth, and you totally just own your opponent. And even though you won that argument, that doesn't mean that you won their hearts. You may have owned them in the arguments, but they're going to walk away still angry. And so we have to remember, as it says in Romans 2, 4, that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And by extension, as Christians, we are little Christ. Our kindness in our speech, when we talk about hot topic issues, it should lead us and lead others to see the love of God through us. The conversations we have about hot topic issues that come up. Can you listen to the other person while trying to actually understand where they're coming from. There's a lot of name calling that I see in this political sphere, and I wish it were not so. As Christians, we are called to something different. As I said earlier, we may strongly, strongly disagree with the other side. That's fine, especially if it contradicts God's truth in scripture. But can we still have a peaceful dialogue which can allow that other person to see, you know what, I might not agree with Christians, but the way they carry themselves in peaceful conversations I can't argue with the, the gentleness that they had in conversations. Can people say that about Christians? Can they say that about you? If you met someone who believes women should have the right to abortion, or if you meet someone who believes that same-sex marriage should be legalized, before we automatically put them in a box and put them as Bible-hating, God-defying pagans, before we push them away, can we ask them, can I ask, may we ask that person, can I ask you why, why you believe this? What makes you so passionate about this issue? And just allow them to share why they care about this issue. Now, I'm not saying you agree with them. We know the Bible stands on these issues, but we can still have a kindness to allow the other person to share personal experiences that shape their convictions. Can you understand the other person, not simply respond with your best argument? 
I was on an airplane ride, I think in 2014, I was coming back home from Hawaii uh, uh, with APU. And I sat next to this lady, maybe in the late forties or something. And I normally don't like to talking to strangers on planes. I just want to put in my headphones and read my book or watch the movie. So I just look ahead and I don't want to say anything. And you know, the airplane guy, he does his normal instructions and stuff, uh, all, that, um, all that jazz. And so after all that, um, I'm getting ready to, I guess, just kind of zone in and read my book. And this lady strikes up a conversation with me. Uh, I forget exactly what she asked, but probably things like, what brings you to Hawaii? Are you going home? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm here with APU. It's a Christian university. Um, and she's like, oh yeah, I go to church too. And I asked her which one. And I think she said something like, oh, I go to the Mormon church or the Latter-day Saint church. In my mind, I thought, oh, she thinks she's a Christian, but I don't share that same view. I don't view Mormons as Christians. In fact, I see them as very, very different. What do I do now? <laughs> do I argue with her on the plane? Do I uh, just hear her out? And I forgot exactly what I did, but I remember just asking her, oh, like, how did you get into the church? What, what was your upbringing like? And um, I asked her, like, how do you know, like, this Mormonism is true? Um, and I, I listened to her, not because I agreed, but because I wanted to give her the respect of sharing her story. And um, she shared how it came to uh, the Mormon church and how that the people took care of her and how she actually feels that God is real. And I'm not exactly sure how the conversation ended, but I'm really glad that I didn't choose to maybe shut her down or throw evidence at her like, oh, you know, actually the Mormon church, they, they differ with Christianity in this. And I know that's not, this isn't about politics, but in this, it's, it's in the same sphere that if we meet someone that we disagree with, What's our first response? Is our response to angrily respond and shut them down? Or is it to listen? You will meet people you disagree with. You will meet people who defy Christianity, who hate God, who hate Jesus. Before we shut them out, can we understand them first before we respond? So in conclusion, today we saw that evil speech, it's a sign that we elevate ourselves above God's law, but we forget when we uh, slander others that God alone can save and destroy souls. Oftentimes, you and I, we use evil speech to tear down our enemies, but have we forgotten that God, instead of tearing down his enemies, he loved his enemies, sinners like you and me, and the God of Christianity extends his grace to enemies sinners like you and me, by descending upon earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of his enemies, you and me, for our sins of evil speech and slander. So that because of this, by trusting in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, that we as enemies of God can be called friends, can be called children of God. This is the gospel message. Christ is our king not any human president. Heaven is our home, not America. We are not primarily American citizens. We are citizens of heaven, which makes us strangers on this earth. And so we wait a savior, Jesus, who will one day return and make all things new. Let's put our hope in the one true king. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we are entering election season, God, we pray for humility. 
God, no matter how we vote, we want to stand for your biblical truth. But we don't want to stand on your biblical truth while trashing and slandering those around us. This is hypocritical. This is not the way things should be. God, with our tongue, we should not worship you in one moment and curse others in the second moment. May we have the humility to dialogue with our enemies and our opponents with gentleness and humility. Lord, please help us to love our enemies as you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.